ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chicky Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, it's Chicky Fitzgerald and another glorious day in Tampa, Florida. We are uh, getting to the end of the school year, I cannot believe it, and uh, I've got a senior graduating from high school and senioritis has set in. Uh, we had uh, a, a skip out day today and senior prom tonight, so uh, a good time is had by all. Uh, I am really, really excited about our topic today because uh, I am in the travel industry, as most of you know, and uh, the whole sharing economy has absolutely invaded my industry. Uh, and so we're going to be talking about uh, sharing, and we're going to be talking about a book called Shareology, How Sharing is Powering the Human Economy. And our guest today is author Brian Kramer. Uh, you may have heard his TED Talk, and uh, Brian is uh, – a public speaker, and he's got an agency that he'll tell you about as, as we begin talking. Brian, welcome. Hey, thank you so much. And I completely understand the whole senioritis thing. I've got one of those myself. <laughs> yeah, nobody told me the rules. And I went to wake her up this morning, and she's like, Mom, I get to sleep in today. And it's like, oh, well, <laughs> that wasn't published <laughs> in the schedule. <laughs> Is yours a boy or a girl? It's a girl. It's a girl. Ah, okay. So, so I, I'm sure you have some of the same things. Well, terrific. Well, Brian, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of your background, just the the thumbnail, so that they can get a perspective of of seeing what you did before you became an author, and tell us a little bit about your current business. Sure, sure. Um, my background is in. Um, kind of kind of the the triad of marketing um as they, as they've come together and my degree is actually in public relations my passion is in um in digital marketing actually my career has been in digital marketing up until social media and then my um my overarching kind of um you know thing that brought it together was just marketing itself and so i've worked my way through agencies my whole life basically um helping them in through the dot com um, to learn how to become digital agencies. And so it, it was my whole job was to take traditional agencies and, and help build them into digital um, uh, firms. And, and so um, that led me up to a uh, consulting firm that I helped to start with um, two other people. And uh, we sold it at about 75 people at the height. And um, then I turned around and with my uh, then-girlfriend, then uh, now wife of 15 years. We started a business called Pure Matter 15 years ago, and it's a marketing agency, a social marketing agency, a content social marketing agency, I should say, that, that helps enterprise companies like Cisco and MasterCard and, and so on to, to help with their content and social marketing. So um, in between all that, um, a few years back, I, I hit a uh, point in my life where I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with me and for myself and um and what what direction i was going to head uh not only with the agency but also you know my own career and um 
And so I started to get really passionate about um, social and content marketing. Um, and this was at a time when everything was just kind of getting started. Um, and I looked at, at, at what was possible and I started to try and figure it out. And the more I tried to figure it out, the more I realized that I started to connect with people around the world and content was really resonating with people. And my blog was starting to resonate and I was really becoming quite passionate about it because it was like, again, that intersection between media, PR, digital, everything that we've done is all wrapped up into one. And I just got so excited about that. So I took it and ran with it. And um, in my first book, Human to Human, there's no B2B or B2C, it's HH, Human to Human. Right. Um, and I was uh, just going to mention that. I, I absolutely oh, yeah. love that because I, uh, I'm i a technologist and an entrepreneur, uh, and, and that's really my day job, the the radio show and, and consulting, um, you know, is just kind of what I do uh, to keep the lights on. <laughs> and and I have a product that we actually sell B2B, but the product is a consumer product. And so I am going to begin using the H to H because I, I think that that makes so much more sense. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of interesting because things have changed, right? Um, there is no more B2B because we have the ability to talk directly with the customer. We can sell directly to the customer. Um, there is the ability for anyone in any company to talk with the customer from engineering to product design to HR, you name it, anyone has access to the customer where before that wasn't the case. So whether you're in a big company or a small company, it really makes sense um, now in terms of communication, how that happens. Now, uh, the one thing I'm not trying to say is that business has changed. The, there is still a dynamic uh, difference between B2B companies and B2C companies in that uh, there's a, pro a, a bit of a different process change between the two internally. But what I'm talking about more is the communication habits and the styles there. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Brian, did you always want to write a book? Or, you know, was this something that came out of, of your agency work and, and people wanting for you to codify, you know, what you had already been using in, in your practice? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yes, I have always wanted to write a book. Uh, but this book actually hit me over the head. Um, I didn't plan on writing it. Uh, it was it was like this surprise baby that you just don't don't even know where it came from. Um, actually, Shareology, the book that I wrote, the second book, I was already working on that, and that was my first book. Would have been my first book if HDH didn't didn't become the surprise baby it did. Um, what happened is I was standing on stage at giving a keynote at Bloomberg West, and one of the slides in the middle was the exact exact title as you know it for H to H. And it was up on the screen, and I went to the next screen, and somebody said, hey, can you go back? We want to take a picture of it. I did, and half the audience took a picture of it and started tweeting it. Over the next 48 hours, it got over 80 million impressions. It had uh, been translated over the next two weeks into over 15 languages that we could count, and it had over 2,000, well over 2,000 bloggers that had blogged about it. So I was getting a lot of different um, interest in what that meant not just the meme itself, but how do, okay, well, how does this work into everything that we're doing? And so I quickly, um, actually, thank God I've been blogging about it. So I highly recommend to any of your entrepreneurs that are listening, if you're thinking about writing a book, start blogging now. Um, that, that saved me because then once I started to see that this was um, relevant and that people needed more information about it, I quickly turned to all of my blogs and I pulled it together and wrote a, a book very quickly because of my blogs in four days. 
self-published it, got it out, and ended up becoming a, a bestseller on, on Amazon. I think we've sold oh, about wow. 15,000 books because of it. So it, that, that was not something that I planned on doing. It was not something that I didn't, you know, that, that, that I thought would come along, but it was very well welcomed once it came because it had been something that I'd been talking about for well over 10 years. And now all of a sudden it became more relevant because of where we're at in the economy of trying to automate everything. Right, right. So I am quite certain that there's a backstory behind uh, Shareology. So why don't you give us a glimpse into that? Yeah, so Shareology is something that I worked on for over, um, like I said, well, probably about three years um, before HTH was started. I set Shareology down um, to work on HTH, and then and then that turned into speaking and other things. So I really didn't work on it up until um, a year ago. So it launched last July. I, I started working on it a year before that, um, or picked it back up again and work, started working on it. So. Um, the, the idea behind Shareology was really um, kind of where my mindset was and how people, um, how, when, where, what, and why people and brands share. And what I basically want to do is, is take the whole sharing philosophy, not just sharing on social media, but sharing in general, offline and online, the sharing economy, the collaborative economy, whatever you want to call it, but how people are sharing today versus how they shared before and where it's heading. So I wanted to take that and put a kind of a formula to it so I could um, understand um, how people needed to share in order to be successful. A lot of people ask, how do I make something go viral, which is darn near impossible to come up with a formula for, but I wanted to come as close as I could to uh, a, a methodology or a model for um, for doing that. And so I basically um, went out and I spent over a year interviewing over 250 quality, credible people from psychology and psychiatrists and and, um, and anthropologists, uh, social anthropologists, to um, PhDs and, and executives and CEOs of major companies, and, and identified basically one major thing, and that's that um, that everybody shares because they want to connect. Um, people want to connect with other people. That's why you share. Now, now there's different emotions and meanings behind their sharing, but uh, which I walk through in the book. But um, the idea behind it is how we connect and who we connect with. So um, oftentimes we're not as strategic about it. And so I really wanted to put some, some methodology behind it. And that's what the book's about. Very, very interesting. So, you know, you, you begin talking about the importance of sharing. And I have to admit that, you know, I'm very, very active on social media. And I wonder uh, how we did it before social media, how we shared our lives. I almost can't remember, and if this was, you know, if this intense desire to share, uh, share experiences, share brands, you know, etc., um, if that was always in us, then we must have been very, very frustrated before social media. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. We we uh, tend to forget. What's I, I couldn't agree more. We we we. We, we forget what um, what it was like, um, you know, back when even we didn't have websites. Um, what did we do to sell our businesses? I, I remember that time as well. And, you know, all, all these things change over time and they change so fast. And, and, and here's the thing, like things are changing so fast, so much even faster. Um, they're compounding faster. And as, um, as these things change, we're getting, um, you know, behind in certain technologies like or, or sharing t uh, platforms like, you know, Snapchat is the newest, latest, greatest, 
And so what does that mean to our business? And, and there's already seven to 10 other major sharing platforms. So now what do I do and how do I put that in the mix and who's the right audience for that? And, and then live video comes out and, you know, it's, it's um, uh, one, of the, one of the coolest things I've seen personally in the last few years on how you can get, um, you know, get, get in front of people. Um, but again, how do you use it? Who is your art audience and what's, what's going to work for things like Facebook Live and Periscope and, and all these other things. So, you know, again, like these things just came up, like just within the last six, six to 12 months. Can you imagine where we're going to be with virtual reality and virtual, you know, um, um, technologies just within the next six to 12 months? Um, and then well, I'm hoping we can that. do that, that beam me up Scotty thing because I'll <laughs> tell you what, I spend way too much time in the car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it'll certainly make traveling easier. We're going to be able to you know, see each other a little bit easier without having the next best thing to teleportation. Right, right. So you, you talk about um, the secret sauce for brands, and you have developed something that you call the shareability quotient. Can you share a little bit about that with us? Yeah, sure. Um, so w what I wanted to make sure is that people understood um, what to share. Um, because a lot of times, the sh what you, you basically, the, the sharing that you do, um, if you were to post um, something about The Economist for the next five days, um, for example, and you did that for the next five days, people would start to think and align their thoughts about you, basically um, branding you as someone who was into The Economist, and maybe it was something specific with the, within The Economist, like maybe it's financial or something like that. The more you share about that and the more often you share about it, the more your brand starts to change in terms of other people's perceptions. What that means is um, that what you share, you are what you share. And so, um, so the idea is that it, you can change the course of, of, of perception. And I, and I, and I know there's a good, there's a good and a bad here. You can, you can use it for evil and I hope people don't, but, um, but using it for good right. um, is, is the right thing to do. And if you really want perceptions around something, cause you're not getting it the way that you, the way that you anticipated or wanted, and this applies to both people and brands, but if you apply the, the methodology of, um, how to build a uh, the right perception or, around you. Let's say you you want to be a speaker one day. Well, um, you know the more you share about speaking, the more people are going to start to know that that's what you want. But otherwise, it's, it becomes a mind reading um, you know process, and and you don't want people to mind read. You want them to know exactly what it is you do and how you do it. And, and the the other thing that I'd say is that you don't want to um, you don't want to do it all the time because we're three dimensional humans, right? People see us as um, um, if you share it all the time, it's boring and flat. Um, what you really want to do is you want to apply, um, you know, I, I outlined this in the book as well, this idea of um, if, you, if, if anybody out there is familiar with photography and how photographers take pictures, it's done in thirds. Um, and so it's called the rule of thirds. And if you take a picture so that's offset to the left or offset to the right, it becomes a much more interesting picture. If you take the picture dead center every single time, it becomes uninteresting and boring. So the same thing applies to sharing. If you share in thirds, um, in the rule of thirds, you're a much more three-dimensional, interesting human being. So take, um, take for example, highlighting others as a third of the time that you, you share. Take, for example, a, time, you know, a third about maybe tips, tricks, news, ideas, thoughts, brainstorms, humor. 
that 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 could help for a third of the time. And then maybe the other third of the time is then about you and your speaking because that's what you want people to know. Now you've you've uh, given people um, you know a, a little bit more well-rounded approaches to who you are, and they're going to be able to identify with you more, so that when it does come time for speaking, they also know that's a part of you. Interesting. You know, as I as I take a look at the shareability quotient, which is um, r- relating the likelihood of a share and the perceived reputation uh, of the content or the source. Um, it strikes me that the first thing that you were talking about, which is the things that I share, uh, you know, essentially come back on me uh, and impact my reputation. So if I spend all of my time talking about my kids online, then, you know, people are only going to think about me as a mom. And when a consulting engagement call comes up, they're not going to think, hmm, need to call Chicky, right? And that kind of sharing that we get in the habit of doing because it's easy and it's fun and we like to talk about our kids um, is effortless. And this kind of sharing that you're talking about where brands need to think about uh, how things are going to be shared or if they're going to be shared uh, or how I can ensure the likelihood of that share uh, actually is, is you know, very, very thoughtful and requires that you actually think things through. And again, if you are sharing content versus creating content, making sure that you understand the reputation of the source. And and we see, particularly during this political season, we see so much that is shared that was posted Right, and and even the validity of of some of the major news networks are are now being called into question because there really isn't a foundation for truth anymore, and and so I, I'm really wanting to dig into the shareability quotient because, you know, as as we talk about what do you share as a brand, um, you know, it is so important to create, you know, valid content uh, versus just sharing things that look interesting. Yeah, um and that's that's part of and I talk about that too um uh you know the the about the ability to curate content is a skill. And um and what content you share is is certainly going to say something about you. So like I said before, what you share is how people are going to interpret you. And that doesn't mean that you had to write it. Um if you share content that somebody else has written, it's going to be still aligned with your brand, whether, again, it's your brand or your, your company or your personal brand. So the, right, the and, more and I would do, say a great example of that is this radio show because I'm yeah. not curating the content because this is all about you and your book and you as an author and you as a speaker. But the fact that I only interview business authors – Right, and that I'm not interspersing that with you know somebody who writes a, a a historical romance novel, right? People do know what to expect. So uh, I'm sorry I interrupted. Go ahead with your thoughts. Oh, it's all right. <laughs> interrupted? No, absolutely no problem. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's my I, show. I, think, I get um, to do that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anytime you want. Um, so I, I mean, no, I, I, I agree, and I would say that you've curated authors. Um, so you, you, you've put together a group of people that are going to help, you know, help you share out something that aligns with your brand, and and that helps you, and it helps me, and and it's very, very, uh, give. It's a very giving, mutual network. And um, my friend Kari Anderson, who has written several books, um, one of them called Mutuality 
would say that mutuality is the is the basis for um, you know all sharing that when you are in a mutuality mindset between two people and can share things out about each other then you're going to um, you're going to see greater results and um, and 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 it also boils down to that idea of giving um, long before you take something from someone um, and that I think is the shift between social media and what we experienced before because. Now, if you were to go ask somebody to share something for you, it'd be asking them to do something for a favor, where now if somebody actually sees um, something about you that, um, that really resonates, that you know, it aligns with their brand or that aligns with their personal thinking, and they go and share it, then it's just being helpful. And so I really believe in this giving before you get, long before you ask um, mindset and, and, and doing things like podcasts and doing things like Write, writing blogs and, and building content that gives back to other people and talks about their efforts and helps to highlight their, um, you know, successes. That's the kind of thing that's going to help come back in spades to help you. Right, and understanding how all of this fits together and, and really the economic impact because as we're talking to business leaders and whether it is entrepreneurs who are trying to launch a new business or uh, you know, folks who are, are trying to build large businesses and, and take their businesses to the next level. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, we are talking about sharing in the human economy and the human-to-human -human impact, uh, really, of everything that we do. And, and so I'd like for you to touch on what it means to take our sharing to the next level. And because uh, social and social media is, is such a huge part of what we're doing, you talk in, in Chapter 2 really about integrating social into what we're doing. And uh, you've got a great quote, and I, I didn't realize that Courtney was your wife, but uh, you've got a great quote from her in here about you know, really thinking things through seriously, <laughs> right? And, and not just saying, oh, yeah, you know, we thought that through, but, but really getting serious about what you're doing. Yeah, it's, that's not a, a hard um, acronym to forget once you think about they get through seriously either. Um, so one of the, um, one of the ideas behind, um, you know, where we're at and how to integrate all these things that we're doing is to um, think about um, where we well, – first of all, let's take a step back. Let's think about where we were when direct mail was a thing. Direct mail, what, um, how, how, much, how, much, how many times did we get things in the mail – it didn't make sense. It was like a spammed inbox, if you will. And right. we got so many letters and so much stuff that it was overlo overloaded and overwhelming. And I think we're back to that again. Um, I, but it's just in a digital nature. And now the, um, the fact is that we don't receive mail anymore, right? We don't have as, or I, I, my, if I go to my, my mail, my actual mailbox, it's, it's not even a tenth of what it was at that, that one point in time when we had all that mail coming to us. So now you, you look at your inbox, your, your spam box or your inbox, and you look at your Twitter account, you look at your Facebook account, you look at your Instagram account, you, you add up all these different mini inboxes and you think, well, you know, where do I start? And, and how many people are trying to get my attention? And in this, this, um, this, this um, uh, world today, we've, we've, um, We've, we've really put ourselves into a little bit of a, a pickle because now there's so much noise. It's, it's so much bigger than it ever was in our, mail, our, in our actual mailbox. We just think, well, where are we going to turn to get that information? Well, that becomes the biggest challenge is how do you cut through the clutter of the noise that is today? 
right? And to do that, you really have to think, I think, in terms of being more human, because I think that things are becoming more automated and we're turning off, whether it's um, consciously or subconsciously, we're turning off the, um, uh, the, 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 uh, the, 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 the idea of whatever it is that they're, that, that's being sent to us. So, you know, if I see a, a, an email that comes through that, that has my name spelled wrong or that it says, dear sir, you know, it looks like it's been, um, you know, robotically put together and blasted out to a billion people, then I immediately trash it before ever giving it a chance. The more human it is, the more I'm likely to read from subject line to opening line to, you know, maybe the first five sentences. And that's very, very rare that I'll do that. And that's because it's very, very rare to cut through the clutter using a human response. So I would say go back to the beginning and think about things that you could do that will help to really resonate online. Like, for instance, on Twitter, I have over 160,000 people on Twitter, and I rarely get somebody who just says, hey, how's your day going? I mean, that, that kind of response is so, or that kind of reply is so easy to do um, from a brand too, than, than, um, than just spouting off content and repeating, you know, things that other people have said, actually reach out to people and say something. If you did that, right. um, like for instance, every Saturday, um, I get, I have a, a fairly large email list and I get a lot of replies from people around the world asking me questions. So every Saturday I will um, go on a walk for about an hour and a half to two hours and I literally reply back in the video. I will take their question and I'll reply back and I'll answer it and say, hey, Christy, thanks so much for reaching out. What I think you should do is, and then I'll, for about a minute, I'll answer the question. And then I, I attach it to the email and reply. Man, the response I get from that is so awesome every single time. And I make friends all over the world by actually connecting in a more human way than just replying back mm, and saying, that. hey, here's what I think you should do. So my point is, be more human in your communication. If you do that, you're going to stand out. Well, and I, I love the formula that, that you uh, have put together here of the, the four rules of social context. And, and this is what you were just uh, going through with us. But the first one, again, is think it through. Skip to the last page first. Slow down. That, that's a big one. <laughs> Reading things uh, actually before you hit uh, enter is something I have to remind myself to do. And, and get out of your head, uh, uh, which is what you were talking about of, you know, the, this old habit of thinking that, that everybody knows uh, what's actually rattling around in your brain, which just is not always the case. So let, let's move on a little bit um, to talk a little bit more about context. Uh, because the the funny thing about social is that my context um, isn't necessarily apparent to you, right? When when I am writing something and it's popped into my head, um, people need to understand that context. So, uh, and you talk here. I love uh, one of your subchapters of contextual shape shifting. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So. Um... And that goes in line, in line with the um, the idea behind virtual reality. Uh, contextual shape, shape shifting is a thing where you can sit on two two different seats from around the world, or two different desks, and you can um, each um, you know if you remember those little pins and needles at the science and exploration museums where you would put your hand in it and the needles would push out on the other end and it looked like your hand. Um, it's the same theory where you can actually take 
this material is kind of like um, kind of like the, the needles where you're where you're shaping something in front of you. And while you're doing that, that same uh, material is sitting on that person's desk around the world and they can see you um, shifting, uh, shaping it. And then they can actually help too. They can actually push things and it will it'll, it'll make those changes to the other person's form around the world. And so this is actual physical shape shifting. Um, there's a virtual shape shifting where you're sharing, um, you know, ideas and shapes and, and shifting and building within worlds, within virtual worlds. Like architects are going to have a field day with this. Um, you know, the mine, Minecraft, if anybody's kids out there playing Minecraft, you know that there's now um, virtual reality uh, glasses that go with that that Microsoft built. And, and kids can now, will now be able to, within the next year, put glasses on and be able to, um, build the world inside of Minecraft with their actual hands by standing, seeing, viewing, and, 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 and building this world, which, which, which shows so much more potential for the business world than, than ever before to be able to create new things physically and have people be a part of it and so on and so forth. So that's really what shape-shifting is about. It's about creating things and collaboration in a world that's much, much different than, um, you know, talking over the phone or on a podcast. Got it, got it. So as as we move through the book, you, you then start talking again about uh, this whole human-to-human -human concept. And why don't you give us just a little thumbnail since uh, you, you actually got hijacked uh, by the human-to-human -human concept, you know, as you were writing this book. So talk to us a little bit about the human business uh, movement and how you become a leader uh, in this human economy that we were just talking about. Um, okay, so, yeah, I, I think businesses, um, right now, I, I, you know, I, I've, I've talked about this a little bit before, where businesses are, um, are afraid to put their people out front. Um, they're afraid to, to uh, build evangelists. Uh, type um, examples of people or, or building an evangelist team of people that are, are can stand out. And the reason that I, I start with that is because most companies, as I see it, are um, are, are still thinking back to the day when um, you know it was brand first. And right now, I think it's people first. Um, I think that people have a much stronger ability to influence others over the purchase of a sale than brand, brands do. I think if I were to walk into a um, biking store and ask somebody to help me purchase a bike they'd sell me one of the bikes that they have that they have uh you know organized because that's the brands that they represent where if i went to you know my friend dave and i asked him which bike he thought would be best for me he'll say well you know i tried five different bikes um, he's a total biking biking enthusiast and he said honestly based upon you and what i know already and everything that i've tried and the races i've done and, and the price point i think you're at you know this bike really helped me out and i think this one over here can help you now i'm going to trust dave on that more than i'm going to trust the store because he knows me and i trust him more than i trust the store it's just a, a matter of fact and so now i'm going to go back into the store and say this is the bike i want i'm going to try it out i'm probably going to end up liking it buying it and now dave is not going to get any kind of commission from that he's just very excited about the fact that he just helped a friend. Now, I think the, the future of the uh, human economy is actually realizing the people within the organization that can already do that, that can already be trusted advisors to people outside the company, and they become your salespeople 
simply because that's what they influence. They are influencers because they're passionate about that topic, and you align them with it, and you help them talk to people outside your company on that thing. And when they do that, you're going to be able to see a much larger scaled sales force because they're literally just helping. They're not selling. And so, um, so I think employee advocacy, that's why employee advocacy has become so huge because, again, when you see a tweet about somebody saying something about their company, you think much better things than when the company says something about themselves. So, um, so that, that is a huge part of it is putting your people out first. Well, and you also talk about the giving ratio and, and how someone was asking me earlier this week um, what I thought about these campaigns where people, you know, put out a little bit of free content and then a little bit more and a little bit more. And, you know, I, for one, don't happen to like that approach. And, and it's because um, I know what they're up to, right? And that at the end of the day, they're going to ask me to buy something. And you talk about how people reach out to you and ask you to do something, and, and you may not even remember who they are or the context of how you met them, right? And, and so having a more giving, and I don't even know how to put this, so maybe I should just let you talk about the giving ratio uh, in, in this whole equation. Um, so, so my giving ratio is different than others. I, I, I'm definitely interested in what you just said because I know, you know there is a trust factor in, the, um, if you, in the, the funnel of giving, if you will. I just made that up. But um, uh, I think that <laughs> like um, a new book. <laughs> um, I think that um, I think that you know different people respond in different ways, and you have to go with the majority. Um, now it, we, that's one side of it. The other side is that we bigger companies need to need to personalize more. Um, you know, there there are times when they just send the same thing out to everybody, and it's not. It's not um, organized well for everyone to be receiving the thing that matters to them most. So there's this whole idea of personalization um, as as part of your giving tree, um, and then there's a, this a, this other concept of giving long before you get or long before you ask. And I am a proponent of that, and it I it worked out. Um, I I think for me um, it proved itself. I mean I'd never asked my community for I don't think anything or any help along the way. The last three years, as I started to build now over 300,000 followers across all my social media platforms and and um, databases, and then when I went to launch Shareology, it was the first time I actually asked for something. I said, "Hey, I could really use some help selling this or or, or buying my book, and here's right. what it's about." And and I ended up um, way like being just completely overtaken with the uh, amount of support with almost 30,000 books sold, and um, and it, it just um, goes to show that if I think um, I can't prove this because I can't go back in time, but I really believe that if I just asked everybody to share my book, you know, um, two years ago before I gave so much content and things away that it just wouldn't have resulted in the same um, outcome. And so I think that there is a strong methodology there, a strong thinking for um, giving long before you ask. Um, I don't necessarily even know what I'm going to ask for in the future. I don't even know if I'm ever really going to, um, but right. every once in a while, you do need help, and and it's okay to ask for help. I, I think that though that um, you know a lot of companies ask for help too soon, like right away. 
Um, and, right. and I think it's like, it's like dating. Like you, you don't ever want to do too much. You, you, there's a process to it first and, and, and there's the dance and there's all these things that help to build relationships over time before you ever, you know, really qualify the relationship. So I think that is a huge part of it. And you really do, do have to give long before you ask. I'm I'm just laughing because my daughter, uh, who is the senior with serious senioritis, was asking mm-hmm. me this morning. Uh, she's got a, a a young girls conference that uh, she has gone to uh, for years, and she wants to go back and be a coach this summer. And you know, it's a, a great cause. You know, building lifelong self-esteem uh, in teen girls. And, you know, I was encouraging her to go, but in, in the past I've had to arrange, you know, someone to pick her up at the Phoenix airport and drive her up to the place where this camp is being held. And and she was asking me, you know, if I had any friends who would feel okay letting her drive their car because of, obviously she's still too young to rent a car even though she can fly by herself. And and so this this whole issue of asking people for something before you have established that trust and that relationship, uh, it just strikes me that it's like somebody asking, you know, can my 18-year-old borrow your car for a week? <laughs> right. You know, uh, because that's what we're doing. And, you know, and I get emails every day with people asking me, you know, to, to buy something or to to promote something for them. And, you know, and LinkedIn and platforms like that have, have just, like, opened the door for that. And, you know, I don't like saying no to people. So, you know, I've I've had, and I certainly don't like ignoring them, which, you know, with the volume that, that you tend to get, uh, you know, it just asks for that. Um, but, you know, the bottom line here, and, and it's the formula that you mentioned in this, this chapter, and I want to talk about this just before we move on to uh, the second part of the book, which is really the ology side of, of shareology. Uh, and, and that formula that you mentioned at the end is quantity plus quality times consistency equals success. And, you know, that assumes that you've also woven in that relevance of, of making sure that, that what you're uh, asking people for or what you're offering them in the way of free content is actually relevant to them. Right. Yeah, that that's a... Um... That's one of my favorite parts of the book. I I, I know that um, you know there's a lot of um, a lot of content out there, and and the best uh, best approach is to make it as relevant as possible and stay relevant for your audience. And I'm a big believer in the ask method. Um, uh, Ryan Levesque um, wrote a great book called The Ask, and um, and if you read it, you'll just be you'll de- definitely start to understand the uh, different um, four different ways that you can ask people uh, something that will get you uh, farther to the truth about what it is that you need to share or what you need to sell. And um, and so I'm a huge believer in the ask method, and I think that content is the same thing. So if you want to ask people how uh, what kind of content is working, um, you know, after you've written something, how did that resonate? What did what did you think about that? I mean, the whole idea here is um, to keep things relevant. But the only way you know if it's relevant is people if people tell you. Is there's two 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 primary things that go into understanding that. One is the analytics. Did people come and visit your page? Two, what what did they take away from it? The only way you right. can understand that human behavior is by asking. 
So, um, so you know, putting things like in like a little exit interview or 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 actually uh, you know an email sign up or gated content that you can then reach out and ask them what do you think and what do you want to see and how can I help you? Again, it's all about this helping like help me help you. Um, you're right. going to get so much feedback, and then your content is going to get better. It's not this throwing mud against the wall, writing stuff, and seeing if they come. It's asking people, hey, what do you want to read, and I will write that. Right, right. So as we move into part two of the book, and, and uh, you, you have a, a kind of a fun disclaimer at the beginning that you know talks about this part of the book being really in the weeds because you you did all of this research, and and now uh, you're distilling all of that down. Um, so so talk to us a little bit about the science of this and and what you learned, um, you know, as a part of of the interviewing process. What were some of the consistencies of of what you heard? Of the interviewing process for um, everybody that I interviewed for the book. Yes. Yeah. So um, everyone had. Um, that I interviewed, you know, was coming at it from a little bit of a different direction. Some people worked for companies, some were executives, some were uh, entrepreneurs, um, and some were, um, you know, solopreneurs in, in uh, you know, private practices or whatnot. And um, it was very interesting to see the, um, the, the answers that came through. The, the, there was personal opinions, and then there were people that were quoting research. Um, for me, the research is what stood out the most because um, that's what people want. And they want facts and figures and ideas that actually worked before. Um, one of my favorite uh, interviews was probably with um, Ben and Jerry's because they, um, they, they're very um, human. They're a very human company, but they also, they also are able to quantify what, what they do. And, um, and see how it can, how it can, how it can work for their brand and, and, um, you know, what they stand for. Like, for instance, they're really all about community and they're really about the communities that help to support to build the ice cream. And so, um, you know, they have dairy farmers that are building, um, you know, the, the ingredients that help to make the brand thrive. And so they went um, and help, and they like to go back and actually help the dairy farmers that are helping them. And so they went to the different communities of the little micro communities that were helping to support, support the, um, the, the products or the ingredients of the ice cream. And they did these little micro campaigns around um, around uh, the community, and they had people submit photographs on Instagram with a certain hashtag, so they collected, and um, and then they took um, I think it was a very obscure or, or abstract campaign around what they thought um, you know would it make their community thrive, and take a picture of that, and so they got all these pictures of how what makes their community thrive. And then they took that um, picture and they, the winning picture, they had a judging panel and they actually went out and said, congratulations, your photo won. And then they would take that picture and they would make a campaign around it and target it back to the community brought to you by Ben and Jerry's. And so they would, um, they, they actually put it up on billboards around that town. They put it in the Facebook and targeted, you know, on their, on their um, Facebook pages saying, congratulations to this community. Here's what makes this community thrive. And it did a really cool thing. It, it had the community, um, you know, it gave back to the community. It got them really excited about what makes their community thrive and come together. At the same time, it also com it connected them with this brand 
that was already being supported. It, it, the ingredients that were being built inside of that community were being built or were being produced to support Ben and Jerry. So it was this really neat little little um, idea of how to use social media and um, and the and the idea of giving back in a very human way and while still um, while still somewhat being a part of or, or attaching their brand onto it without being too obtrusive about it. And they did that in micro communities all over the country and it was very successful. They saw mm-hmm. such an, a great uptick in, in sharing about um, their communities and Ben and Jerry's and they could quantify that. Well, I love this whole section of the book because there are so many stories and so much practical uh, advice uh, that comes out of that, and you know, we just don't have time, unfortunately, to to go through uh, uh, this in the level of depth. Uh, you know, it, it's probably enough for a whole another interview, and I want to be mindful of your time. So, uh, in the last couple of minutes that we have, um, can you just give us a a thumbnail about what's next in sharing? You know, what what is the future of sharing? Yeah, I you know part of it I can tell you, and the other part, if I knew that, I'd, I'd probably be wealthier than I am right now. Um, but the um, the my my idea of what what I think is coming is is um, that a lot of the social networks are going to start to um, figure out who they are. Um, they're they're they've been maturing and growing up, and they don't they haven't quite known what um what what they are who they are and i think that's starting to happen i think facebook obviously knows maybe the most but you got some danglers out there like twitter and um even um you know instagram is coming along but snapchat's new on the scene and a lot of people are new on the scene and they're they're trying to figure out who they are when they when they what they want to be when they grow up i think within the next few years they're going to start to figure that out and there'll be more than just just um new new companies on the scene they'll they'll be very helpful and analytical so that we have a, a much better use for them, um, using um, u- using different these different technologies is never easy. So I think um, too, while we while social sharing has been around or social media or content has been around for years now, we can say you know it's been around for almost a decade. Um, but there's still so many companies that don't use it quite to the ability or the level that they could or should. Um, that still is going to be um, important over the next few years. So I would say that um, doing some of these things that we even talked about on this podcast are going to be um, very important for them to understand in the next few years. And then the other part is just to um, just to embrace um, embrace new things as they come out. Um, so I think early. I think we're all becoming better early adopters. Um, Ten years ago, again, we were like just a, a complete like there was a lack of understanding as to what what all this stuff meant and now we have a much much better picture and we understand at least that it's it can be helpful in certain areas of your business and so now as new things roll out i think we're less afraid to try them because we've seen that um, by not not trying them as they come out we lose out and i'm not saying that you have to use it entirely for your business but what i am saying is that you should try it um uh, try everything just to test it, just to see, just dip, dip your toe in the water and see how it works. And that doesn't mean that you have to incorporate it into your marketing plan for the next five years. But but not trying it today means that you may be left left um, behind for what could have been or could have worked, uh, you know, for your business. So I think that that's, that's another thing. And then the final thing I'll say is just, you know, that virtual reality and, and augmented reality are, are things of the future and of the near future. 
Um, the glasses are out now, and they're going to, again, they're, they're going to need some refining, but um, eventually we're going to be able to do some things in business and in uh, life that we haven't been able to do before, and that's going to change the way that we think, feel, um, and, and act together as well. Right, right. Well, Brian, uh, this has been so interesting. And again, for those of you who have been uh, listening, we have been talking to Brian Kramer uh, about his book, Shareology. And Brian, just quickly, can you tell folks how they can contact you if they would like for you to speak at their event uh, or if they'd like to learn more about Pure Matter? Yeah, easy, easy. So go to um, purematter.com, P-U-R-E-M-A-T-T-E-R.com, and that's um, that's where you can find out more about my uh, uh, agency. Um, so if you're looking for social or content, that's where we do that. And then um, and then on the uh, Brian Kramer side for my books and speaking, and I have podcasts and and content and all kinds of stuff. Uh, you can go to briankramer.com, and that's Brian with a Y and Kramer with a K. All right, perfect. Well, Brian, I know you need to run, so I just want to thank you again for taking time to speak with us today. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it and enjoyed it. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald.